Hey folks, I'm John Botsett, and welcome to The Why Podcast. This is where I get to sit down with some incredible people and talk about their careers, passions, and how they've navigated struggles in their lives. Today, I had the privilege to sit down with Emmy-nominated voice actor Bob Bergen. Bob has made a career out of voicing beloved characters, from Looney Tunes characters like Porky Pig and Tweety Bird, to Luke Skywalker and others from Star Wars in more than a dozen video games and films. We talk about how the animation industry has had to adapt because of COVID-19, and he talks about his experience when he took over the role of Porky Pig from Mel Blanc, and how he processed that as a 26-year-old actor. Stick around to the end to hear Bob improvise as a few of his characters while I ask him questions. I had a blast speaking with Bob, and his warm and generous heart really shines through in each of his answers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a great conversation with my friend, Bob Bergen. big question I have for you is um, since I, I've seen interviews that you've talked about, you're a little bit more on the shy side. Never would really know that unless you know you as a person. Um, have these been like ideal working conditions for you? Because of COVID? Yeah. Just being able to work from home, being able to do it in the comfort of your own space. No, it sucks. Oh, really? Sure. Because acting is reacting and to not have your cast to work off of um, has been challenging. Also, those of us that do animation, we never really worked from home. Uh, people have been working from home doing voiceover for, for, for decades, but animation, uh, we go to a studio. And if it's episodic or television animation, you've got your entire cast there, or as many people who are available that day. Uh, for a feature, you're oftentimes by yourself, but it's at least with the director and the producer, et cetera. So uh, with COVID, um, we had to, uh, upgrade our home studios, which cost a lot of money. And we had to learn various ways to record from home, which was a huge tech learning curve because I am not a tech person. I'm, I'm an actor. So uh, the idea of having to learn all this was daunting and scary. But anybody watching right now or listening right now, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> um, but the, 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 the luxury has been that I don't have to a freeway between jobs so i can do a job i can hold laundry i can go back into my office and do another one an audition comes up comes up throughout the day so um it has become a well-oiled machine but it was not something that any of us would have chosen to do do you think that it's made you um maybe like a more self-reliant actor um be, having to do it in your in and like adapt to these circumstances um, self-reliant, I wouldn't say necessarily. I've always been pretty self-reliant. It's, it's, uh, it's forced me to, um, you know, see, and here's the thing. Um, this is not new. Uh, adapting to stay relevant has been a constant. Silent movie actors had to adapt to sound. Film had to adapt to TV. The broad, broadcast television had to adapt to cable and now streaming. So you either adapt or you, you just retire. Um, there were a lot of people that resisted this. There were a lot of veterans, uh, the top money makers in animation who didn't even audition from home. They would go to their agent's office or go to a casting office and pay, you know, like 10 bucks to come in every day to audition. Uh, I've been auditioning from home for 10, 15 years. So <clears throat> this is just another 
chapter in having to adapt to stay relevant. And we sadly had to do it because of the So in speaking of adapting, um, do you see this as an opportunity for animation to kind of make, I don't want to say like a renaissance because I think that it's already pretty, pretty relevant. Um, but do you think that studios are going to put more time and energy into focusing on animated projects because they can do at least somewhat remotely um, production for these? Or are they just going to kind of wait this out because, um, because they want to focus more on those live action productions? Well, first of all, voiceover is the only acting genre that kept on acting during COVID. Everything else from Broadway to sitcoms to soaps to dramas had to stop because for obvious reasons, you couldn't put people together. We yeah. were able to keep on keeping on because of our home studios. Animation has, is, is, is healthier today than it's ever been. When I got into the business, there were only three networks doing Saturday morning and an occasional syndicated cartoon. And, you know, Disney might have released a feature every five to seven years. Today, every major studio has a thriving animation department. Animation has, has not been this healthy. Uh, ever in the history of the entertainment industry. This is not going to re reflect that. This is not going to adjust that. This is just going to allow it to continue. We record voices first and they animate to our soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So what we're recording today, if it's a, if it's a, a TV show, it won't be on the air till next year. If it's a feature, maybe two to five, depending on the budget. So the only adjustment we've had to make is working from home. Wow. But, it, but, the, but, but the industry has thrived, will continue to thrive, and this will have no effect on that. Given, given all of that and the fact that it's thriving and that you're, you've continued to work, you've continued to stay busy, you still take the time to connect with your fans. I mean, you don't have a content manager or somebody overseeing your Twitter account. It seems like it's you having that direct consumer to, uh, uh, to actor connection there. What, did you have a mentor or have some kind of like um, inspiration to, to set you on that path to where you became this kind of person that's so well connected with their fans? Yeah, everybody I ever uh, studied with and met and gave me an opportunity. Um, uh, Casey Kasem was responsible for getting me my first agent. And I, I said to him, why are you doing this? Because he didn't know me from Adam. And he said, because you're going to promise to do it for others. Dawes Butler was the same way. Dawes Butler had, a, I mean, for, for people uh, tuning into this who don't know who Dawes Butler was, Dawes was <clears throat> almost every cartoon Mel Blanc wasn't. He was, you know, Yogi Bear and Huckleberry Hound and Captain Crunch and Elroy Jetson, Snagglepuss. And Dawes had a workshop every Wednesday in the back of his house in a little guest house. Um, and his, his fee was 10 bucks or a handshake, whichever you had that week. And it was uh, attended by some of the top uh, animation actors in the business today. Uh, I, I was in and out over 10 years. And it would be me and, and, and Nancy Cartwright and Corey Burton and Bill Farmer and Patty Paris and the Marshall, Greg Burson. I mean, it was just the creme de la creme. You know, at the time we were all studying, but people who turned out to be peers. Um, but voiceover is a very, um, very generous uh, group of actors, very generous genre of actors, far more, I think, than on camera. Mm -hmm. The egos aren't as big. People welcome the next generation, are very happy to um, uh, uh, help and guide. Um, I didn't have the internet when I was starting out. Today, people do. Everybody's 
available. Everybody is reachable. And I don't think there's anybody in what we do who won't respond to, hey, I'm looking to get into this. Now, um, if you don't want the truth, don't ask. Because that whole people tell me I have a great voice, there's no such thing as a great voice. And there's no such thing as a bad voice. There's just good actors and bad actors. And for people who don't want to put in the work and the effort and the risk, um, there's all kinds of things you can do. You can do it for fun. But if you want to do it for real and you come to me for advice, it's going to be honest. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, if I'm sure that there's a lot of great voices who never meet the right opportunities to find the puzzle pieces that they fit into. Uh, and they might have they might have like Oscar winning potential, but if they're not in the right place at the right time, they never have those opportunities. Or they're not willing to put in the risk and the work. You, you got to risk that word no to for the possibility of a yes. And not everybody can do that. Yeah, yeah. And do you do you see your fans or fans of voiceover in general as more dedicated than somebody that or more dedicated than fans that are um, for live action actors? Because with them, they have that face to face connection. They can instantly recognize like, you know, who Brad Pitt is right off the bat. But for right. someone like you, you are known for like you you're known for not being yourself. Um, mm -hmm. They have to dig a little deeper and maybe there's that little bit of extra dedication and uh, payoff that they have when they realize, oh, he was the voice of Bucky, Bucky the Squirrel. Right, right. It's an interesting question because we, the collective, we, those of us that do uh, voiceover, we didn't anybody knew who we were or even watched our, our, our product until we started going to fan conventions and meeting people. And, you know, I would have a table full of things to autograph and I put up the you know, more mainstream stuff. And people would say, hey, do you have anything from this anime project or this game? Stuff that I don't even uh, take for granted that people know, let alone are fans of. Uh, so the internet and fan conventions have really opened up our eyes to uh, the appreciation of the people that enjoy the work and, and the content. And again, we don't take this for granted at all. We're um, grateful. I mean, I live in a house right now because people like the work I've done and continue to watch it and buy it. So thank you, people. <laughs> yeah, do you do you keep up to date with modern cartoons or do you kind of just focus on the realm of what you, you've done work in? You kind of have to. Uh, not, not so much as a fan of, I don't watch cartoons, really. Uh, I kinda, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, does the doctor come home and watch the medical programs on TV? I don't know. They might, um, just to see how much BS they are. But I, um, if I'm auditioning for a show that is currently on the air, I have the ability to research it online uh, or watch some episodes or look at IMDb and get a feel of who the director is, who the producers are. I can research the, the style and the delivery that they're looking for. If it's a brand new show, uh, I, will, I can still do the, the exact same amount of research. Who's casting it? Who's producing it? What time slot is it on? Uh, what network is it on? and kind of do a little bit of research uh, just to get a feel for what I think they might be looking for. But I don't sit and watch cartoons. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't even watch a lot of my own stuff because I'm just too picky about uh, my own performance that I might have done two years ago. So there's nothing I can do about it now, so why should I torture myself? But I really enjoy doing the, the, the work. I don't, I'm not so fond of doing it. So now if, if 
if that's not what you're focusing on for the most part, then what is like your release? Like what, what do you do to kind of get out of the world of voiceover to kind of just let yourself vent a bit? I don't need to vent. <laughs> I, I'm seriously, I don't have to vent. I mean, I've got a good, I've got a great career that I love. Um, I'm healthy. Um, I have, boy, I mean, you know, what do I do in my spare time? Uh, give me a remote and a couch and 150 channels and I'm very happy. I love to cook. Um, I, uh, I miss the gym. I used to love to work out, but I can't do that right now. But, um, no, I, I'm not, I'm not a venter. I'm not a bitcher. I, I don't complain. Even if there's stuff to complain about, I'm not going to take the time to invest in that. Cause what are you going to do about it? You know, I, I'd rather take that energy and do something, uh, productive and positive than, uh, I mean, the world is full of the, the internet has just become the world's biggest, um, group therapy. And it's, I think, detrimental. People like to spend their day um, complaining and getting a pat in the back. Uh, oh, it's okay. You're good. Yeah, you know what? That's that's time you'll never get back. What could you have done that was a little bit more productive and positive? So I don't think. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Do you do you have like a particular show or series of shows that you like to just sit back and grab remote and watch? Oh my goodness. Um, Anybody who says nothing on TV doesn't, doesn't own a TV. I, yeah. love I love reality shows. I'm right now I'm in the middle of Big Brother, which I've been a fan of since the very first season. Um, I love um, uh, uh, Mrs. Maisel. Um, I love, um, I love, um, oh man, there's just, I, I love old reruns. I'll, I'll, ch I'll channel surf land on I Love Lucy. I'll go, yep, I'll finish this one. Um, so, I love, uh, you know, I can't wait. I'm on, I'm on the board of governors of the TV Academy and it's Emmy week. You know, we're doing all kinds of receptions online and the Emmys are next Saturday. And boy, I can't wait for TV to start, new TV to start up again. I want to see This Is Us. I want to see Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I want to see Station 19. I want to see all the stuff that uh, I've not been able to see. So yeah, I love TV. And that's, that brings up an interesting point, because with the lack of new content that's being released this year, more than I think any other year, what, as somebody that's on the board of Emmys, what, what are you guys looking at? Or is, is there a limited selection that you guys have now? No, no, because we're, we're voting on last year's stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what, what, what we're honoring this year is from TV last season. So it was, it's a, it was a full, full course of TV. So the, what, what do you think is going to be a challenge for you next year then? TV season's going to start later, but it's going to start. And it's up to the, the content producers to figure out, do we incorporate um, COVID into the storyline or, or, or not? The soaps are doing a great job. Um, you know, it, this, is, this is a challenge, but it is, it's going to be met. So instead of uh, new, new content starting in September, it might start in October, November. But it's absolutely going to start. And we're absolutely going to have a full TV season. And there's also so much content in the can that, that they can either uh, broadcast, they might have been planning to do this reality show in the summer, or let's put it in the fall, uh, leading up to the new scripted stuff. So, oh, I have no, no concerns or no worries. We're going to have plenty of TV. Oh, perfect. Now, so now as somebody who's, because I think it was you and one other guy who took over the voice of Porky Pig from Mel Blanc directly, at least in 1990, um, the year after he passed, uh, as somebody who's taken on that role for over 30 years and from somebody so iconic as Mel Blanc, what was your original um, 
like he- what was your original headspace when you took on the on that character? Was it were you f- more focused on the preservation of Mel Blanc's performance and keeping his voice alive, or did you want to kind of put your own creative spin on it? It's a good question because it kind of evolved uh, to this day. I've never been told by anybody at Warner Brothers, you are, you're, you're the voice of Porky Pig. That's what other, other people call me. I've done them quite a bit. But um, the first time they hired me is the same process as when they hire me right now. Sometimes I have to re-audition for it. Sometimes they just call me and say, you're working next week. Uh, when I first started doing the character early on, uh, they would play about a 10 to 20 minute reference of Mel Blanc. And I had a problem with it because some of the cartoons were from like 1938 and some from 42 and some from 53. And I'd say, well, which one do you want? And the, the executives would be like, well, they're all Porky Pig. They weren't actors. And I'd say, look, his, his version of this character evolved with time. Are you looking for early? Are you looking for later or mid? And they would look at each other kind of like, I don't know what he's talking about. So um, I, my sweet spot for the character would be about 1952 to 56. It would be the Drip Along Daffy, Duck Dodgers, Robin Hood Daffy, that era of Porky. That's when I think the character uh, was the fullest. Uh, going back to your original question, I never ever then thought Mel Blanc, and I don't today think Mel Blanc. There's one Mel Blanc, and none of us can replace him, and none of us sound a thing like him, and none of us are as good as he was. Uh, I think the character. So my goal is to keep the integrity of the character, but I've never compared myself to Mel Blanc. In fact, I don't want to hear myself compared to Mel Blanc because I can't come close. And it's just, it's, it's kind of a disservice to who he was and what he left. Um, you know, he did the character for over 50 years. I'm on 30. And my challenge is putting the character in contemporary situations that Mel Blanc never got to do. So I don't have a reference to Mel Blanc putting Porky Pig in a scene with cell phones or the internet or Uber driving, things like that. But I still have to keep the integrity of the character while uh, honoring today's writers. Do you, is there any character that you see that you more identify with that you've done that maybe you hope someone remembers you for? Not really. Not really. I mean, I did a, a, a panel at the TV Academy a few years ago called, But the Characters Live On, about the, the second generation of, uh, of characters, of the, of the people that uh, portray them. So we did, we had a section with the Looney Tunes. Uh, we had a section on Scooby-Doo with Ray Griffin. And we had a section where I brought out uh, Sherry Lewis's daughter, Mallory. Uh, Sherry was uh, the performer behind the puppet Lamb Shop and her daughter, Mallory, does, does Lamb Shop now. Um, you know, certainly um, um, characters live on. Uh, Jim Henson passed away, but Kermit is still with us. So there will be a time when I'm going to either retire or worse, and of course these characters will continue. They should. Do you think that maybe that's what drew you to voiceover initially because of the legacy that it could provide and, and, and it's more than just your small part in it. it. It's something that, like you said, like it's passed down from actor to actor. No, what brought me to it was the fact that I thought it was fun. 
and seriously, and that I would, they, I had a knack for doing funny voices, and I was an obnoxious kid in school, and I fell in love with Porky Pig very young. That that's all I thought about. That's all I think about today. I have more fun sometimes in the audition in my in my home studio than I do at the job, because there's nobody there in my home studio saying, "Well, you can't do that." I, as far as limitations, it's it's just in my head. I can either commit and have fun, or go, well, eh, I'm not going to do that." But um, no, I I it was literally because I love it. That's the only reason I didn't think about legacy, didn't think about what I'm leaving, didn't think about booking, never did. I just thought this is what I love to do and, and I, I can't see myself not doing it. Do you think there was ever a, even like a small part of you that, that said, I, I, I want to have that kind of escapism into these characters that, that they provide something maybe more interesting than who I am as a person? Um, because I've seen Keegan-Michael Key, who is this Obviously, I mean, I'm sure you know who he is. He sure. uh, he uh, did an interview on off camera with Sam Jones and and mentioned that he can't listen to himself. He can't see what he's done um, because for the longest time he always felt like he had to escape into these roles because these roles were more interesting than what he could bring to the table. Um, if, even if it's not for you, do you think that maybe that's something that is similar with a lot of other actors or voiceover actors? Yeah, I think a lot of actors like me are painfully shy. And, you know, I've got some friends who are fairly well-known celebrities who come across on a talk show or in their work as gregarious and full of life. But when they're off camera or they're just in their private life, you know, um, uh, one friend in particular, uh, I remember being out for dinner with her and she's very well-known. Um, and I'm like, they're watching us chew. And she says, oh yeah, wait till, they, wait till I have to go to the ladies' room. I went, oh, well, I experienced that when I go to Comic-Con, which is unusual for a voice actor because you're not used to being recognized. There's an ego boost. I won't, I won't deny that. It's kind of cool. But one of the joys of, of VO is anonymity, is that you, know, you can go about your life and as a diehard fan, they don't know who you are. Or if you, if you have a very recognizable voice, they might go, are you the voice of... But yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a shy guy. You know, you're right now asking me to do an interview, so I'm playing the part of a not so shy guy. But you know, um, as, as uh, celebratory as the Emmys are, there's no virus keeping us from uh, celebrations. Um, we, we do uh, 30 plus receptions every year. Cocktail parties, which I'm, I'm, I'm hosting some of them and uh, representing my performers. Um, and I play the part because I would rather be in the corner eating a piece of shrimp by myself than be in a crowd uh, uh, in a party environment. But Johnny Carson was the same way. I think some of the top uh, performers in the history of show business were just painfully shy, but get them, get them on stage, give them a character, and they're, they're able to uh, um, release through character and through play and through imagination. That's, um, that's not vulnerable because it's not you. Was that, a, was that a bit of a learning curve for you or, or was that something you kind of jumped into initially um, as soon as you started getting, the, getting that kind of recognition? Um, were, you, were you initially kind of apprehensive to do those kinds of events or did you just kind of initially know, I need to kind of play a character for these? Um, I, you know, uh, both, both. Um, Many years ago, I hosted a game show. It's a kid's version of Jeopardy for Game Show Network. 
And when my agent called me that I booked it, I said, can you give me 24 hours to think about it? And she said, think about what? I said, whether I want to take it or not. And she said, what do you mean whether you want to take it? You screen test it. We've negotiated the deal. I said, give me 24 hours. Because I wanted to really contemplate. Well known. Do I want to be Alex Trebek? Do I want the world to know my face? Or do I want to continue just doing voiceover and have this anonymity? Um, and I did end up deciding to do the show and it ended up being one of the most joyful uh, jobs I ever had as a performer. And it didn't last more than a year, so nobody knew me from it. So I had the best of all worlds. I got to enjoy the process and it didn't make me a household face. Was there another role that you remember really kind of like making a milestone in your life of, of something that you learned? Because that obviously, like you said, it brought you out of that shell a little bit. You got to enjoy it for what it was. Um, but do you remember another role that you took on that kind of took you in the next step in your life? Well, that was Porky Pig because I, I got that job when I was 26. First time it was for a Tiny Toons in 1990. Um, and that was my lifelong goal. So it actually brought on depression because we went out for dinner to celebrate my family and I got depressed because I said to my mom, what do I do now? That was my lifelong goal in 26. Now what? And she said, I would say, enjoy the ride. So, um, and it's been up, it's, it's been down. I've had to re-audition for that character a lot. Um, so it, it's, it, again, I don't own it. Uh, so that was definitely the milestone of my career is booking that. But I take no audition or job for granted. Um, people often ask me, you know, what's your favorite character or what's your favorite job? And I'm, my answer has always been, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's happened yet. I've had jobs I've really enjoyed. I've had jobs that just paid the bills. But every time I get a new project, I'm working on a couple of projects right now that I'm, I'm really digging that I can't talk about because of NDAs, but they're big. They're very, very well known and very successful. And I can't wait. But it takes a while for, from recording to content on the air. Um, but I'm just fortunate I get to do what I love. And, I, and when you do voiceover, you know, Monday it's a cartoon, Tuesday it's a commercial, Wednesday it's a game. So there's nothing but creative um, diversity which for a character actor. Uh, there's nothing better. And that, that's such an interesting point that when you're 26, you're still figuring out what kind of adult you want to be. You're still learning your place in the world. And for you to, in your mid-20s, come out and achieve what at the time was your lifelong goal, I, I can't even imagine how jarring that would have been. And yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but depression seems like a very nat natural step for that just questioning well it was the future yeah it, it was uh i had just moved into my first home so i was i was already working and, and successful enough to purchase you know my first place but um that was big and i will tell you that it wasn't a huge money maker to to book that character because every job is different um this toy might pay a lot more than this episode of a cartoon. This feature might pay a lot more than uh, something else. But, but my, my, my point is you don't do it for the money. You can't do it for the money. You do yeah. it because you love it. Uh, so I got lucky. I, got, I, I, I had lots of auditions. Um, I will tell you that uh, some of the auditions uh, were more fun than others. When we auditioned for Space Jam, the first one, um, the last round, um, and they were, they had narrowed it down to a handful of actors for all the characters. Um, they handed the Shakespeare. 
because they thought anybody can mimic the catchphrases, but the actor who can do Bugs Bunny or Porky Pig or Tweety um, and still do Shakespeare, stay in character, but play that character, uh, could probably own the character a lot better than the person who just knows how to say, uh, what's up, Doc? And I loved it. I looked at the script. I was like, oh, this is cool. And I'm looking around the room, looking at everybody freaking out, going, oh, my gosh. I don't know what to do with this. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I got this one. I think I got this one. It, are, is it moments like that in the audition room that really drive your uh, creativity years down the road? Because I, I can imagine for to have any kind of job for 30 years and be any kind of voice for 30 years, if, if you're not careful, eventually it can kind of get stale. And um, I mean, because people that work in an office, the same office for 30 years, they just they're done with it by that point. And I'm sure they, it's hard to find that, that spark that you had when you started out. Um, but did you do anything over the course of time to keep it interesting for yourself? I don't have to, it's interesting in its own. There's nothing uninteresting about what I do. Uh, we're doing some cartoons right now for HBO Max called Looney Tunes cartoons, which are just brilliant. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm patting the backs of the writers and the producers and the directors and the artists, the storyboard artists who, and the musicians who put together what I think are contemporary classic Looney Tunes. Um, and then there are times when, you know, you'll do a commercial that doesn't fulfill you creatively as much as a cartoon, but it still does because you're acting and you're, and you're bringing these words to life. That's your job. So, Oh, I, I have never, ever felt like my job was a nine to five. Oh my God, another one of these ever. I've had certain jobs that were a little bit more tedious. There are some games that are very tedious because you might have a script that's this thick and you've got to give the players every freaking option that they'll ever possibly have for that game. And so you've got 30 pages of quick, go left, quick, go right. Quick, look up, quick, look down. And as far as your performance is concerned, um, you have to give the same intent, the same um, commitment, because the player might be hearing your 117th take, but that's to them the one and only. So you have to put in that same commitment. So yeah, that can get kind of tedious, but it beats working for a living. You know, it, 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 it beats, uh, man, there are people every single day, God bless them, who are, you know, I'm talking about the people who are uh, uh, the police officers and the firemen and uh, the, the, the medics uh, who during this horrible time in our uh, this crisis with COVID who are going to work on our behalf. God bless them. And thank you for everything you guys do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my dad's a, been a cop for over 30 years now. And Would you give your dad a virtual hug for me and tell him thank you? <laughs> I will absolutely do that, and I know he will enjoy hearing that. Um, yeah, actually, tell, tell him, you believe that Pokey Pig says, you believe that, thank you. <laughs> will do. I don't know if I can do it as well as you can, but... Eh, I'll give it a shot. Just don't <laughs> Fair enough. Now, is there, was there ever a character, or is there one that you wish you could portray? Because obviously you're limited by your vocal range and... and uh, your vocal cords. Um, but is there any, was there ever one just outside of your reach that you wish you could have done? No, no. Um, there have been auditions where I got down to the wire and I didn't get it or somebody else got porky for this project or that project. And I'm like, well, you know, that's showbiz. Um, but uh, I don't 
that, ooh, I really want that project has happened yet. I'll tell you what I would love, and I've said this on other uh, interviews, um, I have never had my own SpongeBob or Bart Simpson or um, uh, lasting original character. I do a lot of original characters, but they may last for a film or a game or a few seasons on a show. Um, but I would love to create that iconic character that goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, that hasn't happened. I'm not because I have nothing to complain about, but that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I that just that part of the legacy and and being able to create something that other people can enjoy once you're gone. I that's mm -hmm. got to be so fulfilling. Was there any project that you remember that um, was maybe more of a challenge for you to to grow into? Well, when you do something new, uh, it if it lasts, it evolves, which is not. Uh, unusual for anything in TV or uh, episodic uh, live action or cartoons. If you watch the first season of The Simpsons compared to today, they're very different. Um, the actors feed the writers and vice versa. So when you begin something new, uh, episode 10 will be quite different than episode one because you've established relationships. Acting is reacting. So you might take twists and turns with the character based on how a scene partner reacts to you that was unexpected. Or you might say something in a certain way that the writers go, ooh, that's a catchphrase, or ooh, that's an interesting quirk that we never thought of, and then they start writing it into the character. So it, it has a natural, organic evolution. Um, but that's a journey, and it's a collaborative journey that you don't plan, you don't anticipate, you don't force, you just allow it to happen. So what's your take on the evolution of cartoons over the last 30 years or so? Um, because obviously there were very limited uh, types of cartoons um, in the 90s or early 80s. Um, and for them to go into the genre that it is now where it's it's become, I think, so much more universal and, and it kind of melded itself into a lot of different genres. Um, do you think that today there are those kind of iconic cartoons like the Looney Tunes or is it kind of something new? Um, you know, iconic uh, deserves to be on a level of its own. Um, there are five sitcoms on TV, but um, there were a handful of All in the Families. There were um, a handful of the Cosby shows. There were a handful of Golden Girls. And then there was a whole bunch, a handful of Everybody Loves Raymond. I'm talking about the, the just... Mary Tyler Moore, uh, the, the, the ones, the Dick Van Dyke shows. And then there were, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, without insulting anybody, um, um, there were the, the, yeah, that was just kind of an average sitcom, whatever. Same with cartoons. There's more content today than ever in the history of entertainment. Um, cartoons, even even the Looney Tunes were never made for kids. They were made for adults, and they were shown in theaters in front of adult movies. The reason why they're associated with kids is because when TV started, they had no content for children. Like, well, we got libraries full of cartoons. Let's just put those on Saturday morning. Done. They created um, uh, basically programming for kids. Today, oh my goodness, we've got 
we've got network, 24 seven networks devoted to animation with, with time slots late at night called things like Adult Swim for adults and for college kids. And then we've got um, Nick Jr. for preschoolers. We've got a network called Sprout, a full network just for preschoolers. We've got Disney XD, which has its own demographic. We've got Fox primetime cartoons. We've got FX airing Archer. And we've got Hulu and we've got Amazon. There is so much variety in content for every age range and every, um, every uh, taste. Uh, so it's just entertainment. It happens to be a cartoon. In fact, when I work on a feature, uh, nine out of 10 times, the director will tell us it just happens to be a cartoon. Don't go cartooning. It just happens to be a cartoon, which is why you see celebrities playing the leads and features. They're not putting on a funny voice. They're not necessarily trying to do the sound of the character. Uh, Kevin Hart did a character, I think in, um, the Secret Life of Pets, where he was like a little furry bunny or something. Yeah. And, you know, the the cliche voice actor would look at that drawing and just, well, do a cute little, little, thing, little bunny voice. And they picked Kevin Hart because Kevin Hart was playing a personality, playing himself. They were marrying the character with the, the celebrity's personality who happened to look cute and fuzzy. Um, there's irony in casting. It's characters, it's, it's being believable, but boy, you nailed it. There's just so much content out there for everybody. Um, it's just another uh, version of entertainment. So what do you think the next evolution of this kind of content is? Because I've, like you said now, it's kind of that subverting expectations with, with casting that you would normally expect. What do you think the next big milestone for that kind of content is? I don't know if there's going to be a milestone. Of, I mean, look, how much more milestone can we get from, from, from network primetime to syndication to networks to features to streaming? I just think it's going to continue. I just think that the, the, um, the art form, the uh, entertainment value, it'll, it'll just continue. I'd like to see uh, the, the major networks do more primetime animation. That would be kind of fun. Um, but I don't see it ending in my lifetime. And by the way, there was a time when it was dead. You know, nobody could, before The Simpsons, nobody could think primetime animation like the Flintstones, you mean? Like Johnny Quest in the 60s? No one's going to watch that. The Simpsons is the longest running sitcom in the history of TV and it happens to be a cartoon. Do you think with, with all of the different streaming services that are popping up and those new avenues for content creation um, that eventually consumerism is just going to bring all of them back basically to like the five TV channels that we used to have, because it's going to just continue to just be spread out for so it's going to be, it's going to be spread out for so far that it's going to be almost unattainable to watch a reasonable amount of that content. Um, I mean, like I said, like, do you think that it's just going to re kind of consume back in, uh, back in on itself? I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, one of the, one of the uh, challenges right now for the television industry for us at the TV Academy is how incredibly vast television is. Um, no such thing as prime time and daytime because everything is on demand. Yeah. That started with DCRs. People would watch their stories when they came home from work. Um, we need to stop judging a show by the rating because they don't, they, don't, they don't mean what they used to mean. 
everybody um, judges a great rating from the Super Bowl. Well, that's, that's an anomaly once a year. Um, people will say, oh, award show numbers are down. Well, of course they're down because they've got 500 options to compete with. Um, I don't see it, that, I, I see that getting uh, bigger than smaller, but it, it's all, again, it goes back to what I said earlier, there's, there's never a time when someone can say there's nothing on. There's always something on. And look, people binge. I binge. You know, I, um, if it's uh, like a Mrs. Maisel, I savor it. I'm not going to sit and watch the entire series in one sitting because I want to watch it week after week after week just so I can savor and enjoy it. Um, I still, I don't watch TV in real time because I don't want to watch the commercials. Even though I'm an actor who voices them, I have the luxury of fast forwarding or ignoring completely. Sorry, but that's advertising industry. That's the reality of, uh, of consuming the content. We want to consume it on our terms, our time, and um, the way we want to and, and when we want to. That's what we have to keep embracing in the, in the, uh, in the industry. Uh, is what the consumers demand and and as their tastes and uh, habits change, we have to change with them. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, capitalism drives everything. Consumerism you drives bet. it all. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, again, I just wanted to thank you for... Oops. Sorry, I just had to tell my office a little something. Say that again. You're totally fine. You're totally fine. Um, again, just before we get out of here, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I, if you would, if you would indulge me, I have a little improv thing I'd like to do with you. Where okay. Um, uh, so I wanted to ask you a couple questions, but rather than asking Bob Bergen those questions, I want to ask characters that you do. Um, okay. So I'll give you the character, and then I'll give you the question. We'll just kind of go through a couple of these. Okay. All right. All right. So Tweety Bird. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. If I could eat ding ding with anybody alive or dead, well, it probably be uh, June Fouet. Because June Fouet was my duanny, and she was a very good friend of my buddy Bob, and she did not like putty tats because they're bad, and she was just a really lovely lady. So sweet, so sweet, Tweety Bird. Now, Speedy Gonzalez, what what is your favorite uh, um, guilty pleasure TV show or movie? My favorite TV show or movie, guilty pleasure. Uh, I like to watch cartoons, but I like to watch them very fast. Pretty, pretty great answer. Pretty obvious answer there. So, Sylvester Junior, if you yeah. could have, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, my superpower would be able to catch giant mouths. My father can't catch a giant mouth. It's very embarrassing. I don't like being embarrassed. It's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's shameful. Taking on the family business, I see. I would actually like invisibility. I could sneak up on the giant mouth and catch him. Perfect. Perfect. Luke Skywalker, pre-Jedi. Wanted to make that distinction. Okay. okay. Uh, All right. I've got I've to I've think about this one. All right. <laughs> If you could write a best-selling book, what would it be about? A best-selling book? I don't know. I just, 
I just want to work on droids. How to work on droids and win friends and influence Wookiees. Fair enough. Fair enough. Bucky the Squirrel, what do you think is the meaning of life? So insightful. I'm really glad. It, that was that was actually that was big. That could change. <laughs> that could change the world. I, and we have it recorded now. That's perfect. There we go. Porky Pig, if you could get away with any crime without consequences, what would it be? Let's see. <clears throat> I, I, I do enjoy eating bacon. Um, so possibly uh, working as a slaughterhouse. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? I'm going straight to hell, folks. <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you obviously have a great rest of the day. I hope you thank you again for doing this. Um, it's been great meeting you, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, my friend. And once again, thank your dad. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Appreciate him. All right, Bob, you have a great one. All right, buddy. Take care. Mm-hmm.